Welcome to the Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer. The past few podcasts have been about Russian quasi-mercenary groups, what they are, who they work for, and what they do. Today I'm going to talk about the real threats I think these organizations present and what we can do about them. It's probably best to say right out that these Russian-affiliated mercenary-like groups are not a military threat in terms of direct ground combat, at least not to U.S. forces or allies. As a key tool of Russian new generation warfare, they do present an indirect threat to U.S. and coalition military operations. I'll address that in a future podcast directed to hybrid warfare. For convenience sake, I'll refer to these quasi-mercenary groups as Russian PMCs. Even though they're not really companies by Western standards, they're not exclusively Russian, and arguably, they might not really be private enterprises either. Previously, Dr. Yovano Renito and I mentioned that the activities of these PMCs may undermine the legitimacy of all contractor support to military operations. By extension, this would also apply to security sector reform in the developing world and to other relief, reconstruction, and development activity. Loss of legitimacy could limit the ability of Montreux-compliant PMSCs to support these missions, while doing nothing to stop the use of Russian quasi-mercenary organizations. Beyond this, Russian PMCs provide more direct challenges to both developing and to developed states. In the developing world, Wagner and other forces work for pariah states. They train these governments to use military equipment provided by Russia under the Buy Now, Pay Back Forever program. The governments who hire or allow these organizations to operate don't care about human rights or international law. The training and even combat operations these companies provide can be used to suppress the liberty of the populations of these countries, as was seen in Sudan and Syria. This disregard for international law could even lead to new regional conflicts. In the podcast introducing Russian PMCs, I said that the activities of Russian PMCs may be approved by Moscow, but they might not be controlled by Moscow. I suggested that some activity might be disconnected from Russian military objectives and intended only to further the business interests of kleptocrats like Prigozhin. There's no reason to believe that this disconnected activity would respect national borders. Further, because of the lack of legal attribution to the Russian state, it would be very hard to hold Russia or even the host nation accountable for cross-border combat operations. There are some in the PMSC industry who disagree with the likelihood of that scenario. Unfortunately, there's ample precedent for economically motivated cross-border operations in Africa. Angola, Ivory Coast, Chad, Liberia, Mozambique, Sierra Leone, Sudan, and others all experienced this. Participants included private security companies, mercenaries, international volunteers, and other non-state armed groups. The past is prologue. Russian PMCs also present a threat to developed states, particularly those of the former Soviet Union and Warsaw Pact, which Russia regards as its rightful sphere of influence. As happened in Crimea, the Ukraine, and Georgia, Moscow could use PMCs in coordination with groups such as motorcycle clubs, Russian ethnic associations, and organized crime, where there's any difference at all between organized crime and these other groups, to harass pro-Western political movements or create civil disturbances or even incite internal armed conflict. 
This is really just a new page from an old Soviet playbook used since the end of World War II, and there's no reason to think they won't use it again if conditions are right. The question then is how to delegitimize already illegitimate organizations while maintaining the legitimacy of Montreux-style PMSCs. Like any disease, the proper response is containment and treatment. Because we're dealing with commerce or the commercialization of war, containment and treatment must consider the laws of supply and demand, too. Also, like with a disease, the first step in containment is public education and awareness. Increasing awareness of the Montreux document is a low-cost, high-payoff opportunity for engaging and educating citizens, the media, and the international community. This includes promoting an awareness of both the legal obligations and good practices recommended by Montreux and those practiced by states. It's not enough, however, to repeat what the law or good practice is. We have to explain why those laws and practices are the best way to achieve what we need from these services. This particularly includes explaining why choosing the lowest price provider accepts risk that will ultimately exact the highest costs. The OSCE resolution on PMSCs I mentioned in the last podcast provides an excellent opportunity for information sharing and encouraging support for the Montreux document. Any initiative limited to the OSCE, however, is not enough as multiple threats exist to non-OSCE states as well as private sector entities that must contract for security services. In theory, anyway, sanctions should be a tool to treat the disease. The idea is to make the behavior incapable of continued activity by cutting off the funding stream. In reality, it's more effective as an isolation or containment measure, preventing the spread of the disease. For example, all major actors associated with the Wagner Group are already under sanction but that hasn't seemed to affect the business operations of Wagner or its leaders. Sanctions do play a role in education, making it clear that this behavior is not acceptable and in dissuading governments who may be on the fence, susceptible to go for the seduction of the Russian model. Unfortunately, for the pariah states that Russia courts, it's unlikely that any Western sanctions will be effective. Actual treatment of the disease involves exposing the infection to light and fresh air, and in treating the commercial aspects of this disease by addressing supply and demand. Russian operations thrive in darkness. We must expose them to the light. In public debate, we must be able to call out these quasi-mercenary activities for what they are. These cannot be oblique references or vague allegations. Claims must be backed up with hard evidence, names, dates, places, and actions. Russia is sensitive to this. The Russian government hates to be embarrassed and relies on Western reluctance to call them out. To be effective, however, the U.S. and its partners must also be transparent, even to the point of being transparent about mistakes and misconduct by the PMSCs that we employ. The recent OSCE initiative already mentioned is a golden opportunity, as is energetic engagement with the Montreux Document Forum, the International Code of Conduct Association, and the standards development process. Attacking supply is a hard one. Russia wants to export these services to promote access to developing states and needs to export armaments to support their own economy. 
The supply side, therefore, seems unassailable. The transparency initiatives already mentioned, however, will cause embarrassment within Russia. This is not the 1970s, and Moscow cannot keep information from its people. It's reasonable to hope that this embarrassment could generate public pressure to at least limit, if not stop, the export of these services. A more effective strategy might be treating this disease like it was organized crime. Apply strategies similar to those the West successfully uses against transnational organized crime and international terrorist groups. Follow the money. Interrupt the supply chain. Hit the kleptocrats and arms traders where they hurt the most. Even if we could eliminate Russian PMCs, the demand would remain. If every Russian PMC disappeared tomorrow, they would just be replaced by other and perhaps less desirable providers. Public education and awareness is part of addressing the demand side. However, to have a real impact in reducing demand for illegitimate military and security services, we need to increase the availability of legitimate or Montreux compliant PMSCs. This is a problem. They're expensive because quality costs. There are possible approaches to address this, but governments, private security providers, and standards and certification groups need to work together to develop methods that are suitable, acceptable, and feasible. A real multifaceted strategy to stop the spread of these threats is well outside the scope of a 10-minute podcast. Nonetheless, I hope I stimulated some thought. I hope I showed that these mercenary-like groups deserve special attention and that something can be done about them. In the next podcast, I'll go back up to the very top level, addressing the whole notion of war, what it is, how its nature is unchanging, and how emerging issues are just superficial to that unchanging substance. Please come back for that.